Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a lyrid lifestyle. Well, I have the pleasure of having another physician yet on the show. She is someone came from humble background, and she had this whole goal of becoming a doctor, but she felt that something was still missing. And I know we all think about success and what that means, but success and happiness aren't necessarily the same thing. And so she went on this journey of learning about herself and going around the world with her fiance, which I love to travel. So we're going to have to talk about the world travels a little bit. And she learned about brain training and leadership and peak performance and all kinds of good stuff. And so she wants to help other physicians do the same with what she's doing now, as well as I'm sure she is a practicing doc still. So we'll have to talk about all of this. Please help me welcome to the show, Dr. Ann Sung. Welcome, Ann. Thank you. Thank you so much, David, for having me. It's really an honor uh, to be here to share my story with your audience. Well, it's always so fun meeting cool people doing interesting things. And when when you go on your website, because you have a podcast, it's, it's not rocket science. And uh, under Meet the Host, I mean, there's just like all kinds of really cool thing about you. Like you got involved in, in rocket science in terms of being an operational flight surgeon, it looks like. So we'll have to talk about that a little bit. But before we do, Anne, walk us through where are you from? Where did you grow up? So yeah, I am uh, from Taiwan. I moved to Houston when I was nine years old and uh, went through the visited the Space Center here in Houston, which was amazing. And that really inspired me to work with the space field, essentially. I didn't know I was going to go into medicine at the time. I wanted to go into the space field. I was very intrigued by it. Essentially, went to medical school, decided that in high school, and then did an emergency medicine residency, then did an anesthesia critical care fellowship. And then after that, I did the Aerospace Medicine Fellowship at University of Texas in Galveston. So now I currently work full-time uh, at NASA as their operational flight surgeon. So I am the physician for astronauts. And then part-time, I work as in the ER as an ER physician and also in the critical care unit in the ICU as the intensivist. I am also a real estate investor, the podcast show host of It's Not Rocket Science Show, and also I am a, a productivity doctor. So I help people get 10 hours, more than 10 hours back in a week in just one hour time so that you can do what you love to do and be your zone of genius. Love it. So you're not busy at all. You got you got not much going on in this life, do you? I thankfully have a lot of people I can leverage and uh, outsource and delegate a lot of things. So and automate a lot of things and a huge support from my husband as well. Absolutely. It's huge. So and you're a mom too. got an eight month old we were talking about before chat. So and I would love to just take it back. So your family moved from Taiwan to the States. How old were you at that time? Nine years old, Nine uh, fourth years old. grade. 
fourth grade. So you you already had a lot of, of life already in, in Taiwan. I would love to know, you know, how would you compare the two countries? Because I think of Taiwan as being relatively Western, you know, but I'm sure there's big differences between between our two countries. Well, I think the one of the big differences is the education system, which is the reason, one of the major reason we moved. A lot of it is memorization of book chapters and then you regurgitate back. There's a little bit, and then when they give you an assignment, it's, you know, very detailed and exact. Whereas in the U.S., the assignments, a lot of times are create, it has to do with creativity. There's maybe a subject, but you're free to create what you want. And my mom didn't want me to be in that environment and so decided to bring me here to have a better education and of course the food is different we speak mandarin and taiwanese there and i would say that americans are a lot more independent when they're younger or even when they are you know past the age of 18 in taiwan it's not uncommon that you're living with your parents afterwards and probably until you're married and then you move out Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, I see that as being a thing. I think of money, too, as being very different. Traditionally, you know, a lot of the Asia tends to focus on savings and not having much in the way of debt. Tell us about that growing up, you know, where you got these two cultures that you're, you're living in, you know, for the first half of your life. And of course, your parents, how, how did they think about money? What was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think... You're very much right in terms of the debt portion. Usually you save up money in Asia and then you purchase a car. You don't buy anything unless you have money saved up. And usually people don't like to go into debt. And I feel like I, even though I was little, it's almost like that was ingrained in my head for some reason as well, because I myself had the same concept until I was in probably mid-20s. So... It, it took a while, other than medical school debt. I was okay with that. But before that, I didn't want to purchase anything in debt. But it slowly just started adjusting in the 20s. Though it's interesting, I, uh, my mom, she understood debt and she understood like if you wanted to create a business you need to go into debt or if you need to invest in real estate you go into debt even though she was telling me that when i was younger i somehow had it ingrained maybe in a systematic way from taiwan that it's too much pressure the and then growing up in houston we were actually i was ashamed of how poor we were because we lived in an apartment we had a one bedroom and at the time when we first came here, we didn't have money to buy furniture. So I was eating my dinner on a huge cardboard box flipped uh, upside down. So that was my table, essentially. We didn't buy a bed frame. We shared beds until probably high school because we're, we could only afford in a one bedroom, live in a one bedroom apartment. So growing up, I had this goal uh, to myself that if I just make $100,000 a year, then I wouldn't need anything else in life and I would have made it and everything would be amazing. It would be perfect. Yes. Oh, man. So you, you do that vision of yourself. It's like, man, I just want to not live like the way that I lived, right? And that that pushed you. Why medicine for you? Is it just because if you heard doctors get paid a lot of money? Was it something your parents said that you needed to do? Tell us about how you became a doctor and what that was like. I think in Asian culture, you are always being told that you should be a doctor or a lawyer 
or an architect, actually, per my mom. And uh, I initially so went into debate in high school to see if, whether I would like it or not, the lawyer route. And it turned out it was it was uh, it wasn't for me. So uh, I think my, I had a mentor who was my high school Chinese teacher, and we actually sat down, had a talk, and discussed that. Honestly, being going to medicine is one of the professions that you can go in and feel like you've helped somebody every single day. And the money, of course, is awesome too, of course. And I definitely had the drive when I was little I, that I wanted to bring my mom and I out of this. So I think it's a combination of a lot of factors. Absolutely. So did you stay in Houston for your undergrad then, or where did you go? Yes, I stayed in Houston for my undergrad because I got a full scholarship with that school. And again, it's financially driven, so I don't want to be in debt. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, and then uh, moved later to uh, San Antonio, UT San Antonio for medical school, and then I had to go into debt. Then you had to go to debt, because it's not like your parents were able to support you in that part of the journey. And so you get out of, of medical school, get into to residency at that particular point. Were, what were you thinking about your debt at that time? Were you trying to work to pay it down, like moonlighting, or just kind of let it accumulate? What were you doing with that? In terms of medical school debt, they were just ongoing. I am doing income-based repayment. In terms of credit card debt, I do remember in college, go, moving forward, college through medical school, I did accumulate. It wasn't a lot of credit card debt, but I wasn't able to pay off because at the same time, I am also a type of person who takes action in terms of traveling. So if there, I have a break, then I'm going to go. Or if there's a chance, I'm going to go. In fourth year medical school, I took a trip to uh, Nepal, went to Everest Space Campus, my celebration before graduation, went to Italy, went to India. Um, so, and I would never forget it. I got into debt because of it. But later in residency, when I was able to enlight second year, third year, then I quickly paid it all off. And it, I was never in debt anymore in my credit cards since then. Look at you. That's good. You got out of it. So with with your background at that point, you're going through residency, you know, you had the medical school debt. What were you thinking? You know, because you're doing income based repayments. Was this now the time that public service loan forgiveness was a possibility or what were you thinking, you know, kind of as you moved on with your medical career? Yeah, that's exactly the program I am right now because I knew I was going to in like go into aerospace medicine and hopefully work for NASA at the time, which is considered a government agency. I'm a contractor for UT and UT contracts physicians, flight surgeons out to them actually. So there's that position. So currently, I think I have maybe 20 or 30 payments left before everything is forgiven. Oh, so close. And you, you haven't had to pay anything for months and months and months yet. So <laughs> Exactly. It's been amazing. And my, like, no interest have, there's nothing been accumulating right now. So. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think about. Like, I've told many people over the years, oh, heck, if you're going to be not working in the public sector, well, maybe you want to refinance your debt. Or if there were like two physicians in a household, who knows what's going to happen with public service loan forgiveness? Like one of you go for it, the other one refinance your debt. And it's like, man, maybe more people should have done it if we know what happened the last few years, right? It's like, you don't have to pay anything and you're getting like literally, if you're in practice, I mean, you're talking about 30 grand a year in your own pocket that is uh, every single year the last few years i mean dang that's 
close to 100 grand now. So yeah, if you put it like that, you're right, close to 100 grand that I didn't have to pay back that will be forgiven, essentially, or I could be investing in real estate, etc. So absolutely time value of money. (laughs) So what did you meet your husband? When did uh, that come about? Oh, we both swipe right. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) love it. So he wasn't a doctor, wasn't medical school? No, we met uh, when I moved to St. Louis for my critical care fellowship. And uh, he's a software engineer. So cool. So he he had he was already making some dough. while you were going through the the low years of fellowship and residency and stuff. He's a one with no debt ever until he met me. um, (laughs) Because we bought a house. But before that, he had zero debt. And I was oh, actually, yes, like, if you look at net worth, I, I like was not up to his par for a long time. Well, hey, you're, you're changing that now, right? So exactly. So tell us about what what happened after you're done with residency. And uh, you, you had a fellowship with NASA, right? Tell, tell us about that. What's that like working with astronauts and doing what you're doing? Yeah, so I did a two-year aerospace medicine fellowship at University of Texas in Galveston, and we do rotations with NASA very closely. It's a less than an hour drive from the Johnson Space Center to the university, so they developed a very close relationship. And so in regards to the fellowship, it was one of the most amazing things I could have done in medicine. It comes with a one-year master in public health. At the same time, uh, certain things I've done was that it included a one-month rotation to Antarctica. So I was able to travel there, do remote medicine or telemedicine. Um, and so that's like once in a lifetime. And also a, like a, also traveled to South Pole, which is in itself, I'd say it's like a 70,000 race because it takes 70,000 to get to South Pole. <laughs> wow. Huh. What, what did you think? Tell us about what it was like down there. Oh, oh, it was summer in McMurdo Station. The weather is about, if it's not like snowstorming, it's not like, it's about 30s, maybe. No worse than like a Midwest winter. So sunny all the time till 11 o'clock midnight. I spent New Year's Eve there to New Year's in 2021 before COVID. And it was bright, super bright when it hit midnight, when the year came around. It was 2020. So that was really special. And it's about a thousand plus people in the summer at McMurdo Station. And South Pole is a little bit colder, it's very remote, and it was just another world. There is also altitude there. It can be about 10,000. It can feel like you're at 10,000 feet there. So I had a little bit of altitude reaction with a a drop in my oxygen saturation slightly, and my heart rate was very fast for the first few days. Huh, interesting. So you're you're doing all this stuff, and, and I mentioned in the introduction that you found you weren't happy. So tell us about that. When did this happen along your journey? What what was going on? Yeah, absolutely. And before I answer that, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I realized I didn't fully answer your last question. So then I was hired on by NASA after the fellowship. And the position is that you're the physician for astronauts. So for the crew who are assigned to missions, they get assigned two doctors. One is the prime, one is the deputy. If you're, yeah, one is prime, one's deputy. And you follow them pre-training, pre-mission training, pre-launch, through launch. And you also care for their family during launch too. They are on 
International Space Station for six months. So you're in mission control as well, or and you're in various meetings. And then post-flight, they land, you go to landing, and then you're there for their rehab portion. In the meantime, there are a lot of other projects or systems like that has to do with lunar landing or other vehicles that you're embedded in or different pathology or um, different, I guess, category of just in medicine, like spaceflight, neuroocular syndrome, for example. Sometimes you're embedded in that or you're in this with space, SpaceX or you're with Boeing. So that's a very, very brief snapshot of what a flight surgeon does at NASA. Interesting. Well, I, I, it's it's got to be so different than any other medicine that people do because you run into things like i understand don't don't you lose some of your muscles to a degree right because they atrophy even though they try and keep it up up there and training for that i'm sure and trying to feel what that's like and the rehab afterwards has to be a whole process to keep an eye on all the vitals and all that stuff yeah 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 we definitely keep a very close eye a bone density muscle. They have uh, specific protocols to do weightlifting, you know, pre, during their flight and then post as well. So we definitely keep a very close eye. And to answer your prior question, the regarding like when my mindset changed in terms of, you know, when I realized if what, that this is not quite what I imagined it to be. Uh, it was the third year of my emergency medicine residency. It was right before graduation. And it was something I worked for for such a long time, like all my life. And, you know, through college, med school, MCAT, all these MCATs, USMLEs, then residency. And then finally, I'm about to be a, like an attending physician. And now my mom and I would never have to worry. Though at the time, I wasn't as happy or as celebratory as I thought I should be for some reason. And... Then I hosted a couch surfer who came and introduced me to Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins. And it was through him, actually, that I went into this world of efficiency, emotional intelligence, business as well. Um, and then it was in 2017 that I went to a live event by Tony Robbins called Unleash the Power Within. And I think it was at that time I realized the reason why I wasn't happy, why it wasn't enough, even though I achieved societal definition of success, is because I was so focused on money and making money and succeeding to pull us, our family, out of this situation that I, well, number one, my mom and I didn't quite have a good relationship. It was a love, like we both love each other, but we also had a lot of arguments too. So there was some unfulfillment there. It wasn't balanced. Number two, I would choose to work extra, like moonlighting shifts, instead of going to friends events. So there was an imbalance there. I wasn't focused on building the connection, the deep relationships, and I chose my, probably from like my childhood, like how poor I was, I wanted to get out of that. And that was my drive always to make more money, make more money. <laughs> so I realized the imbalance and have been working on it ever since. So you, and you went around the world. So did you take, what point was this? Was this after residency or like when did this happen in your life? It was in between the two fellowships, uh, after residency, after the critical care fellowship, which was two years. And then between uh, the aerospace medicine, that's when my husband and then fiance decided to take our first mini retirement 
due to inspiration from Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week. And because I knew after the Aerospace Medicine Fellowship that I was probably going to go right into a position uh, in aerospace somewhere. So I want, I knew that was the only time we had no kids, not married, no house, that we could be as free as possible. And we would, we ne- would never regret it. Like we still talk about it to this day. Our photos still pop up when you can travel without time restraints. It's absolutely amazing. And it cost us about 2000 for both of us a month because the, where we went was pretty cheap. <laughs> that's, that's nothing. So what... Walk us through the highlights. I love traveling. Where, where did you go? So we went to Mexico first, uh, Mexico City, Cancun, then hopped over to Ecuador. Oh, Colombia, actually. We stayed in Colombia for like four or five weeks, Ecuador for like four or five weeks. Go, went to hike some volcanoes. Uh, I think Banio was one of the highlights in Ecuador. You can go ziplining for like 20 bucks and it's like the most amazing ziplining ever where there's like a huge drop to a river. <laughs> And then um, white water rafting in the Amazons. And then we went to Peru to take a look at uh, Machu, Machu Picchu. Picchu. Yes, exactly. But then we also took a bus and went down to Arequipa. We went to the sand dunes, Huacachina. We slid down the sand dunes. We went dune buggy. And then flew over to China. We were at the Great Wall. We were by ourselves because it was winter and it was slow season. So we were the only two at the Great Wall. And it was just magical. It was very cold, but it was magical. Um, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, visited all my family, went around the island, did a moped ride around, and then Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Australia. So some of the highlights from those are like, we did a motorcycle ride for four days in Northern Vietnam, most amazing trip ever. Um, And then... In Thailand, we did Songkran, which is their new year, where you're doing water fights uh, with each other everywhere. And they spray water on you, water gun, like baby powder on your face. And then other things in Australia would be, and that's where I found, in Thailand was where I found out I got into the aerospace medicine um, fellowship. I went back to interview in December and then flew back back to my travels. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then uh, Australia, just getting a camper van, drove all the way down. From, we, I went to Day with Destiny with Tony Robbins in Cairns. And then we took a camper van, drove all the way down to Sydney, Melbourne, and then stopped over to visit his sister in Hawaii on the way back. And then finally, eight months later, we came home. Oh my goodness. What a trip. You know, my, uh, my two favorite places in the world that I've been, I haven't been to a lot of the places you went, New Zealand and Switzerland. Those were two of my favorites that I've been to. Just beautiful countries, so much to see and do, and those were awesome. But your trip sounds epically amazing, even better. So, and it wasn't that expensive. Like we saved up, and it was cheaper than living in the U.S. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Particularly most of those places, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, New Zealand was where we got engaged. Oh, so, and that's oh. where I flew out to Antarctica from Christchurch. So yeah, New Zealand's beautiful. Love New Zealand. It's awesome. So Anne, you know, as, as you have gone about this journey, you know, it sounds like, you know, you've, you've been working on the debt side and, you know, you, you really found yourself and, and after that trip, you know, what changed for you after you go through this amazing worldwide tour, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're about. Obviously, you still 
felt called to medicine and pursuing medicine. Uh, but what else changed for you with this trip? And now for a commercial break. Every year, about this time of the year, I have physicians asking me, Dave, I hate the taxes I'm paying. How can I lower my taxes? How can I understand what the heck is going on here? Well, that's why we have put together a tax cheat sheet that really has almost everything that you'd ever wanna know about taxes. Two page document, super simple. I put together a few videos to walk you through it. All you have to do to receive this awesome document is tax the word cheat sheet, all one word, C-H-E-A-T-S-H-E-E-T to 833-343-2986. If you wanna get your copy of the 2023 tax cheat sheet, make sure to text the word, all one word, cheat sheet, C-H-E-A-T-S-H-E-E-T, to 833-343-2986. Nothing better you can do for yourself than to get educated on taxes. And so my friends, make sure to download that cheat sheet again. You can text all one word cheat sheet to 833-343-2986. And now back to the show. I think through the traveling, number one, just from traveling itself, we realize that everything will be okay no matter what happens. So you can always find resources to fix things. Everything will work out even though you forgot your socks at the last bus stop and it's, or the last city and then you took a bus three hours later <laughs> to another city. Somebody from that city brought the socks back to us and then, and then we met them at the bus stop and then got the socks. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so no matter what you forget, no matter what you think is wrong, everything will be okay. So now it's gotten to the point, a lot of times in our own lives, my husband and I, if we are, if something happens in life, a lot of times our common response is like, okay. Like our wedding venue initially told us that, I'm sorry, we can't book you anymore because of fire department issues. And my first response was like, okay, next, let's go find the next one. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Well, I think that's also a great skill as an investor too, because there's so many deals out there. People get so locked in on doing things one way or one particular deal. You have to be able to say, there's another one coming down the road. You know, like you do, you're not tied and married to a particular investment or a particular way of doing things. You know what I mean? Agree. You're not ruminating on your mistakes or what you think are mistakes instead of learning or lessons, yet you're focused on the solution moving forward to the next one. Love it. Love it. So tell us about, you know, you've, you've, you're, you're going the traditional path in a lot of ways of being a doctor, you're doing PSLF. And it sounds like somewhere around here, you started learning about multiple streams of income because you mentioned, hey, you're investing in real estate, you're doing this this coaching that you're doing. So tell us tell us about those two things and what you're doing there and any lessons you can pass to to those of us listening. Yeah, absolutely. I think it actually, again, started with 4-Hour Work Week, talking about multiple streams of passive income. And from that, I actually created an Amazon product 
to be sold in my critical care fellowship. So I sold like an inverted umbrella with a, and I put a cup holder in the handle so you can walk around and put your coffee and be hands-free and, you know, open the door, get in. So that was my first attempt and it sold out. And I just let it sell out because I didn't want to put in more time anymore. And then the later on, uh, I, I knew, you know, through Tony Robbins or through all the books I've been reading that a lot of wealthy people put their money in real estate. So I put myself in a course. At, it's called Semi-Retired MD. They have an amazing real estate course. I have a podcast on the zero knowledge to fourplex in one year. So I didn't know anything about it. Read the book, read one book, took their course and then ended up with a fourplex in Vegas. And that was my first experience in active investing. And I didn't even own a home, a primary residence yet. And uh, it was amazing. Lots of value. I did a value add, pushed up force appreciation, and then sold it uh, last May. So you you live in Houston yes. area. Mm-hmm. So why Vegas? Why did you choose to buy there? And it's because the invest there was an investor team, uh, the Cocoa team that I worked with. They have markets in uh, Vegas and Seattle, uh, essentially the places with no state income tax. So now they're in Texas too. So because I was a new investor, it was like a team of six or seven people who were uh, very helpful in guiding me and arranging inspectors and people boots on the ground, et cetera. So, so how, how does that work in terms of, were they going to be managing the property or what? What kind of incentive are you paying them up front to help you find something? Are they realtors? Help us understand who are these people? What did they, how did they get paid in this process? They are realtors. And well, so the founder, uh, Kakoa, he has multiple things like a construction. He has a realtor. He has a hard money lending as well. Though with me, they're realtors who get paid by the buyer. So all I was on their investor list. They would calculate uh, the initial cash on cash on properties, multiple properties and deals, email it out to the investor. I was on the list. Something matched up. I contacted them and they guided me through the whole thing. I didn't pay them though. The seller paid them their 3%. So, and then the management company was separate. They interviewed some, referred me to one, and they took 8% management company. So I learned a lot though on tenant selection during this process. Yeah. Tell us about that. What, what did you learn? So I learned not to be so naive and request more documentation, uh, then rather than just one big statement and one paycheck because they can fake a lot of it, <laughs> even though you think that their income is, is able to cover the rent, but though if you just have like any sort of spidey sense that you're, if you're not sure, even though on paper it looks good, I would request more information because I had some spidey senses about some, but I went with it anyway because I wanted to fill my units. Um, ended up having to, it was hard to evict them at the time. So they essentially sat there for a few months while they're applying for rental assistance. Mm, interesting. So when was this? When were you doing this? What year? Uh, this was uh, last year. Oh, I just so, last year. I, okay. I, yeah, I sold it in May of 2022. So you, your goal was to get it filled and then turn around and sell it. Yeah, I did a lot of rehab, put like 40k into it, force appreciated it, and you know I bought it in 2021, and then 2022 sold it, and that's when the value had risen quite a bit. Love it. Well, you, you had a couple of things going for you, right? Super low interest rates and an environment that, I mean, that was perfect timing if you're trying to time interest rates 
rising, that great time to, to sell. Um, why did you choose to buy what I would call actively managed real estate rather than uh, being a busy physician like you are doing syndications or something like that? Tell us about why you chose to go that path. It's funny because I have switched just a month ago. Uh. <laughs> and um, it's because I was trying to decide where I was going to focus my time in terms of, you know, which passive income, well, which side income will I be in my zone of genius? And to be in my zone of genius is be to be a productivity doctor. That's my zone of genius because I have been efficient my whole life. I've been able to achieve essentially whatever goal I set myself, like whatever path I set myself onto, whatever I wanted to do, I had the confidence of achieving it. And I will take micro steps to get there. And that's my zone of genius. And I want to teach people that how to leverage time and how to get back time to do the things you love, to spend time with the people you love. So I was spending a lot of time on active investing the past year. And if you multiply that by my hourly rate, and then you deduct that by my returns, you know, to me, it may not be as worth it, you know, to, even though you do gain some equity. And really, it's about, you know, your your wealth is about your equity, your debt pay down, your cash on cash. But the time I decided, actually last month, the money I sold, like the, the, the gains I had from the sell, I put half of it into a syndication, actually, just last year, uh, last month. The other half... I'm going to see if my husband is willing to go active. If he wants to go active, then, or if he wants to do reps, then I'll give him the money to manage. And if not, we're still deciding. But if not, then I'm going to put it into another syndication. And I would rather make my income by being in my zone of genius and right now and just put the money in for other people to management. And that's where I've landed currently. That's, that's so interesting because I tend to lie on more of the side of being active rather than syndications for so many reasons. One of them being you have no control over what these people do in syndications and how good are they and finding out are they the next Bernie Madoff or not, you know, kind of a thing. Like th those are the things that concern me. I suppose if I knew someone really well, it doesn't fully take away that risk, but I might be more comfortable if it was someone I've known for years, you know, that I could know their track record. Because my experience is so many of these syndications inflate their track records. They don't tell you the full truth in terms of what actual returns have been or that, oh, well, this one was a duplex and now they're buying a 30 unit apartment building. Well, that's not the same thing <laughs> as what you did years ago, right? So th those are the issues I have with syndication. I think the idea of it is great in that you're not having to do the work, right? It's saving you the time. You you've obviously swung from active to syndications. So how do you think about that? How do you grapple with some of those things that I think about? Yeah, absolutely. And just because you go into syndication for the audience doesn't mean you don't learn about how to assess their Excel sheet uh, and their deal, because you have to know what numbers they can change to artificially inflate it. And so if you're very new, if you know nothing about real estate, there's definitely some dangers to it, of course, because it can seem amazing on paper. And number two, in terms of relationships, 
the one syndication I did decide to invest in, um, they're it's like a physician and husband, uh, wife and husband in tech, but they're a group. They have a great track record. They've spoken at physician uh, conferences and real estate conferences. And also they gave my husband and I a VIP day. We won the raffle at the conference and for free, they devoted their entire day to show us their operations. So they and they taught us whatever that we wanted. They didn't know we were going to invest in them. I mean, I didn't know I was going to invest with them. <laughs> sure. But I went, just went there to learn more about what the next steps were because at the time I was thinking about short-term rentals because it's another pathway to do the bonus depreciation against my physician active income. Though after thinking about it we did, and getting to know them and talking to other people who have invested with them and they have no fees as well, so I decided to invest with them. And then the second syndication we would be investing with is uh, the my coach, my own coach that I've been with for like a year or two. And he is a physician as well, but he also has a fund, uh, Viking Capital. So I trust their team as well. Yeah. Well, you know him. You know, that, that goes under the no category. Like, I could see that, you know, work, working well, particularly someone that you've seen them over the years and you know them. Like, So, yeah, I, I'm not convinced still. But I think going and seeing their operation is actually incredibly smart. Uh, so you won it in a raffle, but I think if I were uh, interested in a syndication, like, you know, if it's 50 grand, why not spend $1,000 on a ticket or $2,000 including the hotel to go and scope these people out and see what their operation is like. I mean, I think that's an incredibly smart idea as well as doing a background check and some of the things that, that you should do. Yeah, yeah, we were able to go to their offices and talk to people who are in investor relations, talking to maintenance, talking to people who are sourcing deals and doing the rehab, or just anyone who's managing the, the asset. There's like different categories I can't remember, but all the different departments, we were able to talk to people from that department Department. They took us out to some properties that they were interested in and talked about those properties as well. And even uh, had their coaches, the owner's coaches, coach us, give us some time to coach us. So that was really uh, helpful as well. So yeah, wow. like I would say operations is, if you can visit their operations, their office, it will give you way more than just sitting in the computer for an hour, probably listening to a webinar. Absolutely. No, good stuff. I love it. So, Anne, um, tell us a little bit about the productivity coaching that um, you're doing, the peak performance coaching. What's, how do you fit that in? What, what is that like? How does it happen? What, what do people expect of doing something like that? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very, very limited coaching just because I don't have a lot of time. Like you said, I do, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without my virtual assistant and my house manager. So I can talk a little bit about that too. So productivity coaching, I reveal a lot of the tactics in my podcasts. Uh, it's not rocket science show. It's on deep relationships, productivity, and also uh, health and vitality. And the coaching itself is a one-on-one -on -one coaching, very, very specific, bi-weekly, hour-long coaching. And I cannot take very many people at all. It's very limited and you have to be the right client in order to coach with me. But what we do is that in one hour time, you're able to set up a complimentary 60-minute call. And in one hour, that one hour, I'm going to free up 10 hours or more 
that week of your time. And I do that by focusing on your five goals. Like first, your blue, uh, your North Star of your life first, and then your five goals for the year. And then we kind of drill down to Q1 goals. And then we see where the barriers are. And a lot of times I would say most common barrier is that number one, not able to let go of control to delegate or automate and or eliminate. And number two is that your hourly rate, you're not paying somebody to do some of the items that you, I guess, imagine your hourly rate is say $50, but if you can pay somebody $20 to do your housework for you, then your time can be freed up to work in your zone of genius, like me being on this podcast while my house manager is down there prepping my zucchini and my squash and also my eight-month-old salad so that when I come down, it's all ready to go or to be cooked, ready to go. So I think some of the common things that you can leverage if you guys haven't heard of a house manager before, it's somebody that's, who's not only a nanny who takes care of your children but they also do all the housework, the, your laundry, your dishwasher, unload the dishwasher, clean the house, like, you know, lightly wipe down, uh, organize the clean play area. Mm, she does some of my errands. So she breaks down my recycle boxes. There's like stacks of them and takes out my trash, et cetera, and preps all my food, washes my fruits. So that's a house manager part. Uh, the VA, very quickly, I'll go through the tasks that he helps me with. There's the podcast editing he doesn't do the editing, but he processes it and forwards it to the podcast editing team. He makes all the videos for social media and the posts. He comments and responds to all the comments. He schedules the coaching calls, manages my calendar, manages my business email. For real estate, he does my cash on cash calculator. He'll screen the deals to make sure they meet like a 0.7 or 1% rule because you get like a deal blast of so many deals from realtors sometimes, and you don't have time to screen that. And he will arrange uh, inspectors. He'll look at uh, maybe like mold, uh, mold inspectors even, and lenders as well. So anything that, oh, Airbnb listing creation. And for personal, some of the items he's, as an example, there's like so many little miscellaneous things. He will research things like best microphone on Amazon, add three to my cart and ready to go. Go to environmental working group site and find the grade A baby products for cleaning and add them all to my cart in Amazon. It takes trust, of course, to give them yeah, the, the well, you use LastPass to share. It doesn't share your actual password, but if they download LastPass, they'll be able to fill it in. Some of the other items is he will order my Costco and Kroger from Instacart uh, groceries for me. So those are very, very a few examples of how you can leverage other people's time to free up your own time. Those those are good, and uh, we could we could spend time digging on on all these things. But let's uh, let's let's wrap this up for uh, for today, Anna. I would love to know, you know, when you think about financial freedom and and maybe your thoughts have evolved on the uh, over the years. I'd love to know what does financial freedom mean to you, and when do you know that you're there. I think financial freedom is when you are able to go wherever you want and with whoever you want and stay there for however long you want to do whatever you want. And so in a way though, 
I know a lot of people can make a lot of like, you know, I told myself, I just need a hundred thousand and I'm enough. It's enough. Right. But then after you start making that, then actually you just want more, you want to build more and do <laughs> more. Right. And then you get into more debt in order to get there. And so I also have been working on a sense of that, you know, right now it is already enough that all I have to do is to be, and there's a balance between striving for a lot more versus like being appreciative of what you already have. Because honestly, we do live a life of somewhat uh, with a lot of freedom already. And uh, I'm grateful for what we already have, where we can go, the resources I can provide to my children, my family and support. So financial freedom is one aspect, but like emotional freedom, location freedom is really important to us too. Having the health, vitality, freedom, and emotional freedom. Just being Zen like a monk and being able to take anything that life gives you. So financial freedom is one part, but I'm always working on the four other parts. Love it. Beautiful. Well, Anne, do you have any closing thoughts for us in this podcast today? I think for the audience who's listening right now, if you're thinking about starting like a business or investing in real estate or anything, or maybe you just want to spend more time with their children, I would really highly recommend you doing a time audit of your week. And you can take a look at how much time are you spending doing house chores? How much time are you going grocery shopping? Those are very two simple things that you could probably outsource uh, right now. And if you ever need help in terms of like managing, like what can be outsourced, what can be eliminated or delegated, you can go to ansungmd.com and you can schedule a 60 minute complimentary coaching call with me. And we'll kind of just take a step by step and we'll take you through it. And for the podcast, it's it's not rocketscienceshow.com. And on social media, I am ansungmd. So that's A-N-N-T-S-U-N-G-M-D. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, David. Much appreciated. It's an honor. All right, my friends, that wraps up another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Why? thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name 
or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.